as we're kicking off this Advent series, as we're kicking off this Christmas series, our hope over the next four weeks is that we would realize and grab hold of how generous God has been to each and every single one of us. And out of that understanding of God's generosity towards us, that that would overflow into the way that we interacted with one another. And so when we think about the Christmas season, it truly is a lot about generosity, right? Whether you think about it from from the standpoint of of Jesus and what he's done for us, or whether you even think about it from the standpoint of the world, uh, giving gifts, generosity, it's a huge part of Christmas. We have Christmas trees. We love to pack them with many different presents. And maybe you yourself specifically, you can remember a time where you were given a gift that really made an impact in your life. Somebody was generous to you and you still remember that generosity. Or maybe you got to give a gift to somebody and and it was a powerful moment for you to get get to be a part of. I know for me, just this week with Aubrey, that was something that was such a blessing to my life. Maybe you can remember one of those moments. I have another memory of a gift that somebody gave to me that still stands with me. It it happened uh, a long time ago when I was uh, eight or nine years old. Uh, If you can remember back to those times, you know, as a kid, you really have certain gifts that you just are so desiring and you want so bad. Well, when I was eight or nine years old, you know, there were no iPads. There weren't even really the computers that we have now. And so most eight or nine-year-olds now, those are things that are on their list. For me, it was a Thundercat action figure. Like, that's just what I, I needed it. I wanted it so bad. The commercials made it look so cool. I love Thundercats, and I wanted one so bad. So we went through this Christmas, and the way things worked in my family was we had um, our, our nuclear family, my mom, my dad, my brother, and my, our, my sister, we would open up presents Christmas morning at our house, and then in the afternoon, we would go over to my grandma's house. Now, my grandma is no longer with us, but she was the Christmas lady. You know, maybe you know that lady. Like, she loved Christmas, you know. She went overboard. Her house looked something like this, you know, but her house. I mean, there are trees everywhere. There's decorations everywhere. And she had a very specific process that you needed to go through every Christmas day to make sure that things got done right. So we would eat our meal first, and we'd have to wait around, clean up everything, and then we would start opening presents. Maybe you do the same thing just to torture the kids in your life, but you had to open the bad presents first, right? The socks, the underwear, you know, the things that you knew were coming, you didn't really want, but you needed them. So we would go through all of that, and then you started getting to the good stuff. You started getting to some of the things that you really wanted. Well, this particular Christmas, I didn't get my Thundercat action figure in the morning. Santa didn't bring me that, and so I was thinking, maybe Grandma will get it for me. We went through the process, and we got all the way to the end. I got some good gifts, but I didn't get the Thundercat action figure. And so I was, you know, trying to have a good attitude, trying to be thankful. I knew that was something that I should do. Uh, But deep inside, I was just still a little bit disappointed. Well, she brought out the surprise present at the very end of the day, right? Just when we thought all the presents were given, she brings out these two presents, one for me and one for my brother. And I tear it apart. I open it up and you're right, it was the, the Thundercat action figure. And I was elated. I mean, literally, like that video that we saw to start off the service, I was running around the room, I was jumping up and down, and it was just pure excitement. You know, it wasn't like I was festering something up, it was just like I was just exploding with excitement because I wanted this thing so bad, I dreamed about how I was gonna make my life so perfect, I was gonna be such a cool kid, my mullet and my you know tight-rolled pants, they, they just went up a notch because now I had the Thundercat. And uh, I was so excited. And I remember just out of joy going up and hugging my grandma 
and, and just saying, thank you so much. Not because I had to tell her thank you, but I was just literally so thankful. And I remember looking up at her and she was crying. She had like tears streaming down her face. And I was like, what does it matter? You know, did I step on her toe as I was jumping around and running around? Because as a kid, I'd never seen somebody cry out of happiness at that point. And I went over to my mom and I said, what's the matter with grandma? Did I do something wrong? She said, no, she's just so happy that she was able to give you something that you wanted that bad. And I was like, okay, awesome. And so I went back around <laughs> and started jumping around and celebrating. I'm glad I didn't hurt her feelings. I'm glad I didn't do something wrong. I remember her face, though, still to this day, as just so gracious and so thankful to be part of giving me something that I wanted that bad. You know, it's so amazing to be able to be generous to other people. It brings us joy, doesn't it? And that's the, the big idea that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to keep revisiting throughout this Advent season. It's this. Because of God's generosity, we can live generous lives. Because of God's generosity to us, we can live generous lives to other people. And even as we think about that reality, and even as you hear that, maybe even as you hear the word generosity and think, oh man, we're going to do a Christmas series around generosity. Generosity can be a tricky thing at times, can it? Because sometimes when we hear that word, we say, yeah, I really want to be part of being generous. But there's so many strings attached at times, and we worry about that. Sometimes we worry about our motives. We worry about, well, I want to be generous, but I also don't want to be generous just in order to look good or in order to, to try to get something for myself. You know, I have to be honest, even as our staff, and we were kind of just thinking about that, that gift that we were able to give Aubrey, we were debating, should we even share that with the whole church? Because what if somebody questioned the motives that we had? You know, it's not like the Oprah show. We can't give everybody a car here, right? Right? You know, and so we were thinking, what does it look like? How are you generous in a way that, that actually blesses the people rather than somehow messes with the motives that we have? But the beautiful thing about this series is that we're going to base our generosity not in our own goodness, not in just the excess that we have that we can give to other people, but we're basing the generosity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what God has done for us and understanding the overflow of that protects our motives and brings us to a place where we can actually be generous in a way that is about others rather than about ourselves. Now, our world struggles with this, don't we? As we think about even the Christmas season, it's such a magical time for so many of us, especially kids. We were decorating our house this, uh, this last week, and um, it was really fun. You know, with my kids, they're at a good age where they really enjoy it, and they were over in one corner just decorating the Christmas tree, and Sarah and I were in another corner of the room, and I overheard them talking. We didn't even plant this seed in their, in their minds, but, but one of my kids was just like, Christmas is my favorite day of the year. They're talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, me too. I love waking up in the morning and just seeing all the presents under the tree. And they're like, yeah, it's so fun. You know, and there's something about that that warms our heart, you know, but there's also something about Christmas for some of us that it's become such a thing, such a production for some of us that we get stressed during this time of season, don't we? We get a little bit, you know, on edge because we think I have to buy the perfect gift for somebody. 
I have to spend the right amount of money. I have to spend more money than I have because I want to make sure that the expectations that the people that I'm giving something to are met. And so the generosity of our world has got mixed in with the type of generosity that God wants us to live out. And for some of us, that can bring stress and anxiety during this season. I was thinking about this, and, and it's something that's really interested. I was thinking about this thought, and I don't want you to, to think that I'm a uh, I have anything against Santa Claus. I'm actually a, I'm a huge Santa Claus fan. You know, I, I'm, a big, uh, I'm a big backer of Santa Claus. And, and, uh, but I was thinking about what we teach our kids about Santa. If there's kids in here, uh, you know, you can even use this, uh, you know, with your mom and dad. But think about the songs that we sing about him. You know, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. Why? Well, because Santa's coming. And so what are we teaching our kids oftentimes? We're teaching our kids that this figure who's supposed to be really generous to them, his generosity is based on what? Their goodness. His generosity, Santa's, is based on how well they can control their emotions. Hey, little kid, you better pay attention, not pout or cry, because if you do, Santa's not going to give you what you want. You know, and then we say he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. That's a little, my daughter's like, that's kind of creepy when you really think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Santa, I guess, is omnipresent. I don't know. He can, but we teach our kids that if you're a really good little boy or girl, Santa's going to bring you something that you really want. So be good in order to get what you want. But if you're bad, if you're misbehaving, if you're pouting or crying, you're going to get what? coal, right? Maybe you were taught that growing up. You're going to get coal. So even the messages that our world gives us about generosity around this time oftentimes add drama and stress to our generosity rather than allowing us to truly give out of a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness and abundance and overflow. See, gospel-centered generosity isn't giving somebody something because they deserve it. Gospel-centered generosity isn't telling somebody, work a little bit harder, and then I'll, I'll give you something. That's like employment. That's not generosity, right? As we come to this Christmas season, our hope as a church is that every single one of us would learn to cultivate a heart of generosity that's based on what Jesus has done for us. I want to think about one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16, maybe you've heard it before, maybe you've seen it. They post it on poster boards at football games a lot of times. John 3.16, well, what it says is, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Sometimes we hear that and it's kind of an abstract thought, the world. For God so loved you, each and every person here. For God so loved every single person that exists outside these walls, in the city, on the campus of Bowling Green. Uh, God so loved us as people God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. God gave because he loves us deeply. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And so as we think about the reality of Christmas, we can be brought to the point that God God himself, who each and every single human being on this world is created in the image of, is a generous God, a gift-giving God, a God who gives gifts not based on our own merit or our own goodness or what we deserve, but who gave the greatest gift of all time, sending his son to this earth 
to live a perfect life and be crucified on a cross so that we could have eternal life. He gave that gift because he loves us out of complete love for us. Not based on any of our own merit, but based on his generous heart to make us right with him and to bring us into a relationship with him. And so this Christmas, we want to grasp that reality and let that truth of the gospel extend to the way that we bless the people in our lives and the people around us. Today we're going to look at a text in the book of Matthew. The Christmas story, most specifically, is talked about in Luke and Matthew. Those are the two places where it's talked about in most detail. And uh, we're going to look at the account and the narrative in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look at a specific scene in the Christmas narrative as we start off this Advent series where the Magi, the three wise men, are brought to Jesus and they come with him bringing gifts to worship him and to bless him. And we're going to compare and contrast the the Magi and how they interacted with Jesus and the king of that area at the time, King Herod. And how he was not ready to give Jesus gifts or to worship him, but he was threatened by the presence of Jesus. And so in his greed, it drove him to do some things that at the end of time, history has not remembered him well. And so we're going to compare and contrast Herod and the Magi, the generosity of the Magi, the greed of Herod, and see what we can learn about generosity from this passage. So with that being said, if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. That's where we're going to spend some time together today. It says this. Chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, having come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed with all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Here's what's going on in that situation, if if you're not familiar with it. Uh, Jesus has already been born. And prophets of old, hundreds, maybe even thousands of years before Jesus was born, were prophesying that there will be a king, there will be a Messiah who's going to come and save their people from their sin, and he's going to be born in this little town of Bethlehem. It's, it's this amazing truth that the Old Testament actually prophesies much of what happened in Jesus' life. And this is one of the beautiful prophecies that can give us confidence that Jesus is really who he said he was. Because thousands of years before he was born, they said there'll be a Savior and he'll be born in the small little town of Bethlehem. Even people during that time thought, there's no way that could be right. Bethlehem, it's like this little town that nobody knows much about. It, it, it's just kind of a little blip on the radar. And they said, no, the, the Savior of the world will be born in Bethlehem. And Herod is in charge of the area that Bethlehem is in. And so now he's starting to get nervous and thinking, wait, I'm the king of Bethlehem. I'm the king of Judea. I'm in charge of this area. And they're talking about a king, a Savior being born here? I need to make sure that this king, this infant king, gets taken care of so I can keep my power. Jump back in in verse 7. It says, Then Herod called the Magi 
secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find them, report to me so that I may go and worship him. He was tricking the Magi, or at least trying to. He was wanting them to bring him to Jesus so that he could take care of Jesus so he could retain his power. Verse 9. After that, they heard, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen rose ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense. And myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. See, Herod was threatened by Jesus. The Magi were generous to Jesus, bringing him gifts. And, and I think it leads us to the first thing. We're going to pull out three points and truths about gospel-centered generosity from this passage. And the first one is this. Living generously allows us to live freely while greed forces us to live in bondage. Living generously allows us to live freely while greed forces us to live in bondage. Just think about these two different characters, these two different pictures, Herod and the Magi. The Magi were so generous that they gave up their time. We don't know how far they came from, but it says from, from the east. And, and so they traveled a long distance, hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles. They gave of their time. They gave of their talent. They gave of their resources, bringing these gifts to Jesus. And as we think about the Magi, still to this day, as we celebrate Christmas, we're, we're fascinated with them, aren't we? There's songs about them. We have pictures of them. They're in almost every nativity that we have. They're remembered well because their generosity and their worship of Jesus put them on the right side of history. Their hearts allowed them to be part of something so much greater than themselves because they weren't focused on themselves. They weren't focused on being greedy with their time or their resources. They wanted to focus on what God was doing in that moment, and they cultivated a heart of generosity. Contrast that with Herod. We know from reading just a few verses after that in Matthew chapter 2 that Herod would go on to commit a, a terrible atrocity Herod would actually go on because the Magi didn't come back to him and point them to Jesus. So he got more and more paranoid. He would go on to actually kill every baby boy in the city of Bethlehem under the age of two because he was trying to make sure that this coming king would not take over what he thought was rightfully his, the royalty that he had. Herod was so threatened by the fact that Jesus might take over his position someday, that he went and it drove him to commit this terrible sin of murder of these innocent babies. See, Herod was greedy. He had like this death grip on his possessions, most likely. You gotta assume that, that royalty would, would have provided a lot of possessions for him, but he was also greedy with his position. Not only his possessions, but his position. He was so greedy that he said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep hold of these things that I have because they're mine. 
You know, the Bible teaches this principle throughout all the pages of the Bible that when we get to a point where we think that something that we have is ours and we have such a death grip on it that it brings us to do things that we wouldn't be proud of, we really need to look into our heart and ask, are we being greedy? And it doesn't just have to be money. Again, it can be opportunities. It can be positions. As we think about that, the Bible teaches us that everything in this world whether it's opportunities, possessions, resources, everything in this world is God's. God is sovereign. God is in charge of everything. God owns everything. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the, the psalmist says. And so us, each and every one of us, we are simply taking care of what is God's while we're here. As we're passing through this world in the grand scheme of eternity, we are stewards, the Bible says, meaning that we care for the resources, the opportunities, even the family that God has given us. We do our best to be stewards of those, but they're not actually ours in the first place. See, Herod got confused. He thought that his authority and his position and his royalty was his to hold on to. And it put him in a place where he did something terrible and he didn't get to be part of God's plan of ushering in that great gift that God brought to give us. See, greed, oftentimes we think that when we hold on to things, it'll bring us freedom, but it actually brings us into bondage. Now, one of the questions that, that we like to ask as we consider this, this topic of am I living generously or am I letting greed sneak into my life? One of the questions we like to ask is, do you own your things? Do you own your possessions? Do you own your opportunities or do they own you? Think about that for a minute. The things that God has given you, whether it's a scholarship as a student, whether it's a job on the city side, whether it's a child, when you think about the way that you interact with them, do you think these are just opportunities, even children, jobs, that I can use to bring glory to God, and so I'm going to do my best to steward them, or do they actually start to own you? Do you center your life around figuring out, how can I keep these things? How can I build my life on my things? And when we do that, oftentimes we end up building our life on things rather than on the gift giver. We end up building our life on the gifts that God gives us rather than building our life on the gift giver who is so generous and wants us to live open-handedly with everything that we have. You see, living generously allows us to actually be free. And greed, greed it takes us to a place of living in bondage. Second thing is this. Second thing we can learn about generosity is this. Living generously allows us to invest in what matters most. Living generously allows us to invest in what matters most. You can compare and contrast the two. What do you think mattered more in the grand scheme of eternity? Herod keeping his position of power for a few more years. The Bible actually tells us, or history actually tells us, that he died shortly after that time. He went through all that horrible extent, and he passed away anyway. Or being part of God's plan to redeem humanity. See, what mattered most was following God in that moment. Living generously allows us to invest in what matters most. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. My family right now, 
we, we've been getting into the game of Monopoly, okay? And so um, me and my kids and my wife, we've been playing Monopoly a, a lot of times. And one of the things, I don't know if it's just because of, of me and the person I am or because I'm a pastor or whatever, but and my kids just have to deal with this. But I'm always trying to teach life lessons in anything that we do. And sometimes they really like it and other times like, really, Dad, we're just playing Monopoly. Do you have to teach life lessons during this time? You know, but we were playing Monopoly the other day and uh, my son, Isaac, my youngest, he's seven, and our family, you know, we like to be a little competitive when we're playing board games. Maybe you like the same thing. And, and my son, Isaac, he really wanted to win, but he's, he's seven, you know? He's the youngest. Like, he's probably not, you know, he doesn't have the mental capacity to keep up with the rest of us, right? He's only seven, and so he's playing this game, and my son, Sam, he has like a thousand Monopoly dollars, and my son, Isaac, is about ready to lose. He doesn't have any Monopoly money left at all, and so I'm teaching him how how to negotiate, how to work out deals, you know? And so I'm teaching him all these different things. But then my son Isaac, he, he says to Sam, he says, Sam, I will give you 20 real dollars for all thousand of those Monopoly dollars. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Life lesson right here, okay? I like the way you're thinking. Good, negotiation's good. But listen, you don't ever give something real for something that's fake, you know? Like, think about it, buddy, that, that money, $20, that's like real money. You can go spend it on something. You can give it. You can be, you know, don't waste that. That's wasting your money. Don't waste that $20 on that 1000 Monopoly dollars. It all goes back in the box at the end of the game anyway, right? And, and then I was thinking about the parallel for that in life, you know, and I was thinking about how oftentimes do we do something really similar, actually, how oftentimes do we, instead of focusing on what really matters, the real stuff of life, do we waste our time and our energy and our money on stuff that's fake that's going to go back into the box at the end of the game anyway, on stuff that's going to end up in a landfill someday anyway, on stuff that truly doesn't matter I was thinking about that, and I started even thinking about my own life, and I started thinking, what would it look like to invest in eternity? You see, the things that actually matter, the things that are going to make a difference in the long run are being generous in ways that will point people towards Jesus because the spiritual things of this world are the things that are actually real and actually matter. And sometimes the things in this world that seem so real and so cool and so amazing at the time will find out very shortly that they actually don't mean that much at all. It's just like monopoly money. But the investment in things of God, the investment in eternity, that's what matters. Where are you spending your time, your money, your energy on things that, that in the long run don't even make that much sense, that are going back in the box at the end of this thing anyway? Jim Elliott is a famous missionary. He ended up giving his life for the gospel. He says this, I love this quote. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, greed tells us that, yeah, the more stuff we accumulate, the better it'll make us feel. And in that sense, then we can just keep it all. And our life will get better and better the more stuff that we have. But this quote points us to the reality that, listen, we can't keep any of those things. We can't keep any of it. But what we can't lose is eternal investments. 
What we can't lose is when we point people towards Jesus, when we get to be part of stories like Aubrey's, when you get to love people and show them who God truly is in their life, that is something that truly matters. And so this Advent season, our hope and our encouragement with each and every one of us is that we would be thinking, how can I be generous in ways that actually matter? Not just accumulate more stuff. And listen, there's nothing wrong with giving presents. There's nothing wrong with getting stuff. I have a lot of it, right? But, and all of us do. But the question is, are we thinking in our heart in a place where we're continually figuring out how can the gospel be part of this generosity that we're focusing on? Third and finally is this. Third and finally is this. Living generously is a privilege. Living generously, it is is a privilege. And I don't know where you sit as you're here today. I don't know when you hear that topic of, you know, Christmas joining the generosity. If right away maybe a little, a little guard goes up in your heart and you think, oh man, are they going to ask me to give more money or am I going to have to do something that I'm not comfortable with or, or whatever the questions may be. But we have to bring ourselves to a point where we remember and we realize that generosity is such a blessing to us. When we are generous, it is an amazing way to center us and focus on us on what truly matters. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself, because he said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so... Is generosity a discipline? Yes. In a certain sense, it can definitely be a discipline in our life that we need to continually focus on, but it's also a blessing to see how we can be part of pointing other people towards Christ. So I want to encourage you during this season, practically look for ways to be generous. And it can be different for everybody. You know, one of the things with this series that we did not want to do is prescribe a certain way to be generous during the month of December because we believe in you. We believe in the people as you sit here and we believe that God can be putting things on your heart. And so if each and every one of us as part of our church are looking for the opportunities, whether it's with our resources, whether it's with our time, and we're saying, God, how can I use this to bring you glory? Can you think of the impact that it will have if we all rally around that heart? You know, maybe for you, you don't have a ton of financial resources, but you have time and talent. You can look at the people around in your life and you can serve. Maybe there's an organization, maybe even this church, whatever it might be that you see a need or you know that there might be a way that you can help and you have a skill set that you can step in and say, I want to be part of being generous with my time so that the gospel can continue to go out. Maybe you do have resources and God has put something on your heart for you to go do. You know what? Oftentimes we overthink generosity and think, well, I don't know if I can do that. You know what? We'd say, just be generous. Maybe you go out to eat and you have a waiter or a waitress. You can give them a big tip and you can tell them why you gave them a big tip because you want to point them towards God and his generosity towards you. Whatever the case is, find ways to be generous because God has been so faithful and generous to each and every one of us. And as we close, I want to just go back to these three magi. I want to think about their gifts for just a minute. Maybe... Some of you have heard this before, maybe you've thought of this before. They brought these three gifts to Jesus, right? And those three gifts had a very practical nature. Those three gifts were valuable. They were generous to Jesus, the God of the universe, as he's laying in this little stable manger as a baby. 
But not only were those gifts practical, many scholars and, and many people who study the Bible, we believe that they weren't just practical, but they also had a, a significant meaning behind each one of those gifts. As you think about the first gift of gold, gold obviously has value, but even more than that, gold signifies royalty. And you, you go to any palace, you go to any place during that time, and there was always as much gold as you could possibly get because gold signified the kingship of whoever had the most of it. And so these three wise men, they bring this baby lying in a manger gold to signify not only do you need this as a resource, but it's showing us that Jesus is the king of the universe. He's not just the king of Bethlehem. He's not just the king of Judea. He's the king of the world that we all someday will bow down to and worship. So the gold signifies Jesus' royalty. And then you have frankincense. Frankincense was this, uh, was this thing that was burned, this incense that was burned oftentimes in worship services. And as like the, the smell kind of floated up, people would pray. And it was something that priests often used. And so the frankincense signifies that Jesus, as the book of Hebrews tells us, is the great high priest who's the mediator between God and humanity. Jesus would come to make us right with God. And Jesus intercedes, the book of Hebrews says, on our behalf. So he is the king of the universe, but he's also the great high priest that makes us right with God and goes to God and speaks on our behalf. And so we don't need any other mediator. We only need him. The gold, the frankincense. But do you know what myrrh is? Maybe some of you have heard this before, but it's fascinating to me. Myrrh was this oil that they would use to anoint the dead. Myrrh was a, a oil, it was almost like an embalming fluid that they would use, and it had value. And so, again, it was practical, but I think we would be silly to overlook the fact that there's a lot of symbolism there. Why would these magi travel thousands of miles, bring these gifts to Jesus, and one of the three gifts they bring is this myrrh that, that is something that you use to anoint the dead. I think they're pointing us to the fact that this little infant lying in a manger had a very specific reason and purpose for being born. The purpose of Jesus being born was that someday he would go to the cross and die for my and for your sins. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel that even as he's lying in the manger, they're saying, you came here to save the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only son who is lying in the manger to die for you and I. Why? So that we might have eternal life when we believe in him. See, the beauty of Christmas is that we serve a God who so graciously loves and gives that he sent his son to come and die for us. As we think about that reality, God offers us that gift. It's extended to us. And like any other gift, the question is, will we receive it? Will we receive the gracious gift that God has given to us in sending his son and say, yes, I want to turn and not put trust in myself, not put trust in my own ways, but say, God, I want to follow you with everything you've given me. God, I want to be generous to others as you've been generous to me. God, I want to repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in you and you alone. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. When we put our faith in him, when we believe in him, we get invited into God's family. We get to experience the generosity of the God of the universe, and we get to be part of that eternal life that God wants for all of humanity. See, Jesus came with a mission. Christmas is about God becoming flesh, and it's about remembering that that baby someday would grow into a man who would sacrifice and die for you and I. The question is, will we receive that gift that God has given to every one of us? So let's pray, let's worship, and let's thank God for what he's done for us in that gift.